Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com I've attracted the lead and now you have a space between the attraction until they turn into a, a full-on customer. And that is your buyer's journey. And that is where my guest today specializes. Tamika Arashe will give us some really interesting tips and guidelines on how to move someone from lead generation to an actual customer. Join us. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. Today, my guest is Tamika Owai of Orisha Creative. Welcome, Tamika. Thank you so much, Wendy. I am thrilled to be here. I am thrilled to have you. This is going to be some very exciting content we're going to get into today. Um, but people who are listeners kind of know, I, I kind of want to understand how you ended up where you are. Do you, did you always think you'd run your own show? No. Well, maybe <laughs> a little bit, a tiny little bit, but like 20 year old me was so interested in like, doing the things that you're supposed to do, right? You gra- you go to university and then you graduate university and then you get a job and it kind of doesn't matter which job as long as you got one. So you take the job. And so, yeah, I, I desire, like I went to business school and I had this real creative, you know, spark about me. And I thought maybe one day, but I didn't know what the business looked like. And I certainly like, I see some of the Gen Xers and stuff like that now. And they're just like fearless as hell. And they're like, you know, they just go for it. But I was not that fearless at all. (laughs) (laughs) Confidence comes at different places, doesn't it? It does. It totally does. It totally does. Now, 20 years later. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, what gave you the confidence to do it on your own? Yeah. You know, and, and so what gave me the confidence, honestly, um, what's the saying? It's like, uh, the mother, what's, what is it? Necessity is the mother, mother of, invention. of invention. That's what I'm looking for. Necessity is the mother of invention. And so, um, really, I don't know that I had the confidence per se, but I was in an interesting position wherein I was, it was t- picture this 2008, right? 2008, when the economy dipped and I'm a, I'm a marketer. Um, and I happened to be really successfully promoted at a, at a young age. I was like 28, had a director level role and all these cool things. Um, and marketing departments are often the first place to go. And so was mine. And so I was laid off. Um, and I found out just a couple of days after being laid off that I was pregnant with my first child. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely, Right. So it was a little bit of like, you know, big deep breath, but nothing that I had to worry about right away because I got a wonderful package, right. They paid Mm. out the package and then, you know, we're blessed to be in Canada. So got my nice little mat leave situation happening. Um, but the following year when it was time to re-enter the job market, um, the salaries were still looking pretty low. Like again, compared to what I had been being paid, you know, coming up the ranks, um, And so it was, it felt like I was looking at jobs that had salaries 
that matched what I was making as a co-op student or making like my very first year out of work. Like it was pretty, um, depressing. It was pretty depressing. And now I've got, you know, this little sweet, precious baby angel who just turned 13 yesterday. Um, you know, and I, I just, that was where the, you know, the necessity kind of came in. It's like, either I can take a job for less than I, than I really desire to make, have most of that funnel out into daycare. Mm. Um, right. Or, you know, I can stay home, try to figure out this thing called entrepreneurship. And luckily my husband, you know, super supportive. And he was like, all right, maybe this is it, go for it. So that, that was it. But I can't say I was necessarily confident. I think I was still sleep deprived. Um, <laughs> you were in a, some kind of fugue state. Yeah, I was definitely like, okay, is this a good idea? But what I did know was that it felt like the opportunity for me to finally, um, have a role that I could use all of my creativity. Mm. But then like I did feel in the corporate space, I felt stifled. I felt like, you know, really annoyed by um, kind of all the red tape, you know, again, being um, like that time, like the late, you know, 2000s as a marketer were really interesting because depending on the um, industry that you were in, you know, your, your company might be open to like these things called email marketing and blogs and, you know, making, you know, like selling to people online, or they might be still kind of stuck in the old ways. And I very much was in an environment where they weren't really wanting to try anything new. Right. So, so for me, I was kind of like, this could be an opportunity to really use all of my creativity and, um, to be more on the cutting edge of what I'm seeing, like other, um, industries getting to do. So I said, you know what, I'm going to stop job hunting and I'm going to create my own ship, build my own ship. That's awesome. Did you, were you in a specific industry in the past? Like, or were you in an agency that handled all kinds of things? No, I, I spent a lot of time in, um, professional services. Um, Mm -hmm. so I was marketing director for Sears portrait studio for a number of years. And then I actually had left that role to take a, um, community relations and event planning, uh, role with, uh, with the city of Brampton. Um, Mm -hmm. and that was the department I was in where, where there was, you know, layoffs and, you know, the government, they, they have their times when it's kind of go through, we'll do an efficiency sort of study. And they did one and they're like, actually, we would be better off having an agency than having marketing, um, in-house. And so for this particular, um, area. Yeah. And then prior to that, I think, um, I had a little bit of consumer packaged goods experience, but I was kind of all over, but generally, you know, sort of, um, kind of B2C type of industry and, uh, like, you know, very much, um, focused on communications. Mm-hmm. So whether it was like advertising or, you know, any of the kind of marketing pieces, um, that were outward facing, that was really, that was really my, my jam at the time. What do you know now about owning your own company that you kind of wish you'd known back then? <laughs> All the things, Wendy, everything. Um, the big thing. What is the thing you go, oh man, I wish I'd known that. I wish I knew how much time, energy, money it takes to really get a business up and running mm-hmm. because I probably would have, um, you know, had a little bit of humble pie and said, you know what, I'm going to take this role even though it's not paying me what I want and have a bit of a bridge. Cause I kind of, I jumped off the bridge, right? I just was like, yep, let's do it. You know, it's no problem. Never mind that I, you know, and that will appear. The net and will that appear, will appear, right? The net will appear. But a lot of lessons were learned from mm-hmm. that jumping yeah. um, for sure. And 
Um, you know, right now, I know a lot of folks who've got the great resignation going on. A lot of folks are looking at creating their own thing. A lot of folks are really frustrated by what's happening in their, in their companies and they're ready to kind of like jump. And I'm often, you know, any of my friends, colleagues, that sort of thing. I'm like, you know, I know you don't love it. And, um, the ability to create what you want to create while, you know, you've got a bridge while you're not kind of like scrambling to figure out where your next sort of dollar or client or whatever is coming from. Um, you just, it's, it's a lot less stressful. (laughs) Your, your nervous system will not be fried and, you know, all the things that come with (laughs) that come with that. So, um, yeah, that, that I think is the, is the big piece. I definitely underestimated what it would take, Mm. um, to create a successful business that was, you know, easily replacing and then exceeding right. my, my salary from in a corporate space. I always tell everybody who's thinking about starting their own thing, well, go get every piece of credit you need because yeah. you're going to be, uh, no one's going to give you any now for two to three years. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Like things like that. I, I didn't know. So, you know, accessing credit, accessing, you know, loan funding, like any of that wasn't really yeah. available. Um, cause now I had been out of the workforce for a year and that, you know, so yeah, so credit and all those things did take a hit for sure. Absolutely. Um, Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the work that where you are the, the magician, where you're in your zone of genius. Uh, Where is that? And why did you choose that please? Mm, please. Yeah, for sure. So my zone of genius really um, shows up in tuning into the conversation that um, a business owner needs to be having with their community. Okay. If you tell me who you are, who you want to serve and what transformation you have available for them or what, you know, product service, whatever you have available for them, I can very quickly tune into um, the messages that are not necessarily just like the sales message. I'm not talking about like, you know, what it's going to take to sell the thing. I'm talking about the message that needs to happen prior to that so that you have your community leaning in and saying, I want more, right? Mm. It's much easier to see enrollments, to see, to see sales when you've got folks like raising their hand and leaning in versus doing kind of a used car salesman situation of like, what about my thing? What about my, thing? Or, you know, the door-to-door salesman, you know, Hey, Heidi, you weren't looking for this today, but here I am. I'm going to sell it to you right now. Um, you know, song, dance and pony show. Um, I, I really love being able to support people in creating true community, Mm. um, like a community of raving fans who are, you know, it's not, it's not, if they're going to work with you, it's a matter of when, right. And getting to that place, um, doesn't happen until you are able to have these conversations that are going to do the job of, of moving your community along their buyer's journey and preparing them to step in and work with you. Um, so that's really like, that's, that's my place. Um, how did I, how did I get to there? Hmm. I mean, the, the communications, the messaging piece, like that, certainly there's some training in there, you know, university, corporate time, that sort of thing. But in this context, really where it came from, um, was, you know, after a certain point, my initial first business, that one that I started when my little baby girl was one, um, oh, it crashed and burned. I didn't know what I didn't know. I wasn't making enough money. It was a very expensive hobby. Um, right. You know, as, and it happens, yeah, it happens. Right. So very expensive hobby. Um, and I 
when the day when I kind of finally came to, I'm like, this is not working. This is really not working. I started down the road of hiring a coach and I was like, well, let me, you know, let me scrape my pennies together. Yep. Use some more credit that, you know, feels a little risky, but let's do it because I can't figure out this, the way out of this hole by myself. Um, so I hired a coach and, um, really fell in love with the coaching industry. Right. I fell in love with the coaching industry and what was possible, um, through that, um, through what's available in coaching. And there's a lot of, you know, not so great things about the coaching, just as there's not a lot of not so great things about many industries. Um, but I really fell in love with the industry and, um, I never did get that first business to really work, but what I got reconnected with was that I am a great marketer. I'm a brilliant marketer. And while I'm figuring out what the business could be, I could just like freelance and I could just, you know, work for, you know, some other folks and kind of bring my, my genius, my marketing know-how into other um, spaces. And I had the privilege and pleasure of um, having a freelance marketing role within a coaching business. And that's where sort of the dots all connected. It's like, mm -hmm. I love this industry so much. I, you know, I love being in this industry. I love it from a personal perspective. And I can see where um, in that space, in that coaching, mentoring, teaching, anything where you kind of have like, it's a service-based role that requires a lot of deep education because uh, there's so much misinformation. There's so much sort of um, like cookie cutterness of it, you know, um, any kind of industry like that, right? Financial services, as we were talking about before, can be like that, right? Um, there is a real opportunity to help more people by having the conversation that they need to have to help them make another choice, right? We we're talking a little bit earlier about, you know, kind of the, the tried and true color schemes that are in the, in the, uh, um, financial services space, right? And even just showing up using a different color palette like sets you apart. But imagine now if on top of that, you're also having a conversation with your community that feels very different than, you know, how many other financial service providers might, oh, yeah. you know, right? Like, and I know that you do this. So this is why it's, it's such a great conversation to have, but it's like, you know, for folks listening, imagine, you know, you think of the typical financial services conversation. It's like, well, you should be saving more and you should be spending less and, you know, Debt is, you know, debt is, is not great and your credit score needs to be, you know, all the things that we've all heard that like shame us to hell and make us think like, oh my God, I can never get my financial act together. And then you show up and start having a much more supportive conversation. Mm -hmm. Does that, like which side is going to have someone actually get their financial act together? The side where they feel shamed and like they can't do anything correct or the, the side where you're having a conversation with them that helps them see you know, how to approach things in a different way. It gives them a little bit yeah. of grace, maybe even around, um, you know, what where they, they are might... now. Right. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. What I find interesting too is, and I suspect your clients benefit from your services is that I've been reviewing some websites lately and I find it's, it's generic and doesn't say anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there's, there's, yes, we will help put a plan together and then help you implement it. Exactly. It's completely devoid of um, showing that they really understand like mm -hmm. you as a potential client. Like, do you want to hire the person who's like, yeah, I'm going to help you put the plan together. Or do you want to hire the person who's going to like speak to what's going on for you right now? Like, geez, I know that it's been really hard to get a plan or you try the plan and it fails. And, but what if you had someone who was with you step-by-step, step? like just, you can't kind of in this online space, um, the more specific you are. Yeah 
And the more intentionally um, clear you are about who you help, how you help them and um, really showing them that you like, that you get that right. Like that is what sets you apart. You don't need to compete on price or, you know, compete on how many reels you can do on Instagram or any of that stuff, right? You please, need, please let's never compete. Please on let's that, not, okay? let's never complete on that. Cause I also suck at trying to point at the thing. Oh, I don't do any of those. You know, like I can't, I cannot do it. Um, right. But where we can compete is my people know that I 100% understand where they're coming from and 100% understand their situation in a way that they, couldn't possibly know themselves. Like they don't know what they don't know, mm. but they can tell that I do. Yes. Right. And that's the place where you set yourself apart. A couple of things I'd like to go back into a little bit, um, Tamika is customer journey. So I, I love that term. And I think of the customer journey as from the time they didn't know about you to the time that you're actually working with them and fulfilling their needs and transforming their lives in one way. Uh, some people call those funnels, where do you stand yeah. on that? And tell me about customer journey and what it means to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I often use, I'll use buyer's journey, but yeah, customer journey as well. For me, that means the, um, that is the cognitive and emotional journey that someone is taking along their path to making the decision to solve whatever problem that they have. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're right. It starts from awareness. Um, not of you necessarily, but awareness mm -hmm. that they've got symptoms, like something's going on, like there's something, problem. something's yeah. not adding up. Like I don't, I can't name the problem quite yet. Mm. But something's not, something's not adding up. Right. I'm aware of the, of the symptoms that are plaguing me. Yeah. Right. They move into exploration. They start to try to name the problem. And this is, you know, often where they're collecting a lot of research, a lot, you know, a lot of, um, of different intel on all the possible ways that they could solve the problem, yeah. right? And they're kind of like really trying to understand the problem a lot better. They still might not even be able to accurately um, identify the problem themselves, but this is a really great opportunity um, for, for you, right? From a nurture perspective to help them clarify what the problem is, but they're gathering the info nonetheless. And then they move into the place where it's like, okay, you know what? I am clear I have a problem. I know there are a number of different ways to solve this problem. I'm going to move into decision-making and I'm going to start to, you know, make that final decision to step in um, and, and work with somebody. Right. So that's kind of how I see the, the buyer's journey. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can see if you're using the language customer journey, then yes, you would take it into the place of them actually stepping in and working with you and getting the results. Oh yeah. That's um, interesting. right. Yeah. Uh, and it's so interesting with marketing and all the language and the jargon yep. and stuff like that. Right. So we, we, they can mean slightly different things. Um, but yeah, if I, if I, we look a lot at the buyer's journey and we kind of end at the sale, but yes, the customer. And journey. then it becomes the client's journey. The client journey. The, exactly. Fill from that point on. Exactly. A um, funnel. Sorry, oh, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say a funnel in my world, um, is a little different. The funnel mm -hmm. syncs up with the buyer journey, but the funnel is essentially your journey as the business owner, as the marketer that you're trying to take, you know, leads through. So a funnel has different phases as well, but the funnel phases are um, lead generation, right? Mm -hmm. We need a way to bring in new leads, lead nurture, right? We need a place to nurture the leads and then conversion. We need a place or lead conversion. We need a place to turn the leads into actual clients, right? So that's what a funnel comprises of. Here's the thing. The buyer's journey sits in your funnel. Yes. Right. So they are superimposed. And actually I was just doing a workshop yesterday and I had the two of them side by side and I was trying to think, how can I like superimpose this inside? Right. Cause it's not an exact sync up, but essentially when you are, when you attract a new lead, 
it is likely that they're in their awareness, you know, stage of things. Mm Um, right. But then you need to move quickly from lead generation to nurture so that you can do the job of moving them from awareness to expiration to decision-making. And ideally you want to sync up at the end wherein they're ready to make a decision. Um, and so they convert and become a client, but it's not, they're not the same thing. They're two different things. But for, in my view, the buyer's journey is what your client's going through. The funnel is what you want to take them through. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Do you feel like your entire life is about reaching the pinnacle of business success? Solid referrals, a steady stream of leads in the pipeline, profit year after year. But what's next for you? Are you going to keep working hard, hoping that the money will magically start multiplying in ways that you don't even know about now? Maybe you'll pick up an investment property or two to add to your portfolio. Can you even retire? Can you step back or step away or exit completely and not lose everything you've built? If you don't have the answers to these questions, you are not alone. This is exactly why I created the Total Wealth Accelerator, a program designed specifically to show you, the successful business owner, how to build your own private wealth portfolio. Because there's more to you than your business, and there should be more to your wealth than what you make from the business you've created. I want to show you how. Go to the Total Wealth Accelerator now to learn more. That's TotalWealthAccelerator.com. term community a few times. What does that mean? Does that mean I have a Facebook group? Does it mean I have a LinkedIn group or am I just communicating with them on the regular? What am I doing? What's the community? Yeah, I think community needs to um, be reflective of where you feel willing to show up every day, where you like to hang out. Um, But it really can be, and, and so it can really be anywhere. Community could be a Facebook group. It could just be your Instagram, you know, following. It could be your email list. Mm. Um, some folks are getting into Telegram. It could be in Telegram. I know folks who run groups on Slack, um, which is pretty interesting. You know, so a community can live anywhere. Yeah. Um, it's the the lens that you're looking at these humans. Then is just like like this. These are people who have, you know, in some way, shape, or form have shown that they want to be in my world. They've consented in some way to being in my world because they followed me, because they've given me their email address, because they've joined my Facebook group. Um, and so I want to, um, I want to treat them like a community because then we have the opportunity to build a relationship, right? When we, like, I love, you know, I'm a marketer, so I use marketing language. I'm talking about leads and prospects and all these things, but we forget sometimes that the, like they're humans, right? We're like, (laughs) these are people, right? So I like to very, like, yes, we have lead generation and the goal of leader, like lead generation is to build a community that you can nurture. Mm -hmm. Um, so that the, you know, folks who are ready to step in and work with you can step in and work with you. Um, So what I've, what I'm taking from this is community is people who have consented to be in my world through an opt-in or joining of something. And as a result, um, uh, that's who I'm talking to um, about what, however I choose to talk to them. Correct. And I believe now, so the interesting piece is, is that um, when I read some of your material, um, what I've taken away from it is that so many people focus on the lead gen and get them all into, the, into their community, but then there's a, this kind of gap yeah. where people kind of go, oh, they're in my world. So now they're going to buy versus how do I move them closer to buying? And I think that's the, where you come in. Is that correct? Absolutely. And that is a big gap. And I want, I do want to say that there are folks who will do the piece, you know, generate the leads, have the community. And it's not that they are not 
attempting to nurture the community at all, right? It's often that they're not nurturing the community with the lens of, is this nurturing that I'm doing, supporting the ideal, you know, client and prospects within my community to move along their buyer's journey. Mm. The term nurturing, lead lead nurture or nurturing your community, um, it often is a very superficial statement. Yeah. Right. It's like, well, anything that I put out um, to my community where I'm not directly selling at them. Yeah. So I send out my newsletter once a month. That's not necessarily nurturing. That's exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. So we're doing it and it's better than nothing. Like certainly it's better than nothing. Right. Cause we're staying in community. But I think this idea of, um, you know, just sending something out that is, you know, that, that feels valuable, that doesn't have a call to action, a sales call to action is, is nurturing or just staying visible, you know, is nurturing, but instead, you know, from a messaging perspective, from a conversation that you are having with your community perspective, um, you want to dial that in much more so that there is a clear uh, sort of journey that you're taking them on to move through those stages that I talked about so that they can become ready to buy sooner. It's not that, and on their timeline, we're still not being manipulative. We're still not doing anything weird and, and, and gross in that way, right? So we're, we're speaking to the people who are ready to move forward. Yep. Um, we can't control that. Um, but I will say that when we do a good job of identifying what those messages are that are going to be most supportive of moving um, your ideal clients along their buyer's journey, you'll see faster, uh, you'll see them take action faster versus, you know, sort of the way that most are doing it where, yeah, you know, we send out a newsletter or we just kind of post a couple times a week or whatever we're doing to nurture. It might, we might see a much longer buying cycle. So it might take a couple of years before they actually, you know, step in. It sounds like we're, it's the difference between intentional versus just staying top of mind. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly cool. it. Um, when it comes to nurture, what's, what's working right now? Like, what is the things like, cause I feel like sometimes I'm worried about algorithms. Sometimes I'm worried about SEO. Some I, there's all these things that noise in the communication channel, but what's working right now? Yeah. I think the first question we always have to ask is like, what does working mean to, to us? Right. Mm. Um, for me, working indicates that the nurture that you're doing is resulting in more aligned people raising their hands to work with you, whether that's booking sales calls or going to your sales webinar or, you know, whatever your particular enrollment method is, right? So what's working to have that nurture content actually produce um, more of your new leads or or to create more new leads who are ready to become new clients um, is this piece of just getting very strategic and identifying like what messaging is going to move my ideal clients along their buyer's journey and doubling down on that. So rather than focusing on, you know, the latest with, with reels or the algorithm or SEO, right. Those all are, are, they're not, um, they're, they're worthy pursuits, but they're not nurture. Right. Right. Reels, SEO, um, a lot of what we get very caught up in from a marketing perspective is often around visibility and lead generation. It's not actually nurturing. The only thing that I'm seeing that works really well for nurture is getting really clear on what conversation you need to have with someone once they've joined your community um, so that you can help them, you know, understand their problem in a much different way and um, take another action as a result. That's working really well. And um, not only identifying those messages, but having those messages on repeat. 
hmm. having those messages, right? So we get in this space where again, you know, what we see out there from other marketers is this idea that like more is more, like we got to have all of this content. We've got to keep it fresh. We've got to be posting. And it, and it kind of, sometimes it's said without being said, because you might see, um, you know, a message that, oh, you've got to be posting like three times a day. Well, if I'm posting three times a day, I clearly need to come up with a ton of things to say, because I can't just say the same thing three times a day. Right. So there's this, even if it's not said overtly, there's like the, you know, underneath it all is like, oh, you got to be coming up with way more content. And so it sends folks on the cycle of, uh, and, and leaves them on what I call kind of the content creation treadmill, where they're like trying to come up with what, you know, what are the 365, you know, things I'm going to post for the next year, you know, times that by times three, three. Now, yeah. right. Cause now you want to post three times a day. Right. So letting that go because the quantity isn't actually what is moving the needle as far as nurturing your people. Instead, move focusing on the quality, the quality being finding those messages that your people really need to hear and putting those on repeat. Um, that works incredibly well. And frequency um, in terms of how much you should post and everything else, I find that that actually is very um, dependent on your line of like your industry, who your people are you know, that sort of thing. So like, I don't think there is any sort of hard and fast rule, no matter how much, you know, social media folks, and I love y'all, um, like how much you might think and believe that it's like, oh, you know, definitely if you post this, this number of times, like it, it's not so because, you know, I remember working with a client once and she, um, she was a, uh, parenting expert and particularly with the toddlers and stuff like that. And we were just talking about like frequency and where she should post an email and that sort of thing. Um, and she was just, you know, she's like, well, yeah, but, you know, so, such and such, like, what were we talking about? I think it was like live streaming or something like that. She's like, you know, live streaming never really seems to work for me because, and I think it's because my parents, like, they don't have time to watch a live stream, like trying to watch a thing on camera while your kid's trying to like knock over your phone, get your attention, everything else doesn't really work well. And so we talked about, you know, maybe you should just have audio only. And maybe instead of having it be live, it just goes out via email, maybe even via text, if you have that available to you. And so we were looking at some different ways and, and kind of talking about the frequency of things um, just based on who her community was. And I think that's so overlooked. Mm. Um, it's that real, you know, that's the other piece that's working. Like everything that I'm saying here really is just the hyper customization of um, your messaging and your actions around who your people are, um, you know, and, and understanding the way they buy and how they consume content versus kind of just doing a mass approach based on, you know, what someone else yeah. has said or what works for another industry. Are you a, um, um, do you believe, do you are a subscriber to the client avatar? Are you, or persona? Are you um, into jobs to be done? Like, where do mm -hmm. you, how do you decide? these characteristics yeah. of that audience. Yeah. So yes, yes to, um, ideal client avatar that like, we do have an exercise that we have our folks do. Um, it looks a little different than most see the place that your avatar comes from as quickly as possible in your business needs to be from actual people. Yeah. Your actual best clients that you've worked with are your avatar, right? I understand that there is a gap when you're getting started or if you're shifting gears or something like that, right. You know, it takes a little bit of time sometimes to dial in who that is if we haven't worked with a lot of people. So we might start out by guessing yep. a little bit, but it really comes from who, like those best clients, those star clients that you've worked with that you'd love to have, you know, them show up again and again and again. That is what lets you know. And the thing um, that we have to remember though, it's not just the 
you know, psychographics or demographics of that particular client. Like, it's not just like, oh yeah, that client, you know, they had a family and, you know, they were into, you know, summer sports or whatever, right? Like, it's not those kinds of um, behavioral or um, kind of characteristics. Instead, what you want to be looking at are um, the the symptoms that were showing up for that ideal client, like the actual physical experience that mm. that ideal client was having before they stepped into work with you. The, um, the, again, the conversation or the cognitive kind of process that was happening, yeah. um, you know, in their brains before they went through and hired you, like you want to almost, you want to look at that ideal client and then you, you might even need to have a conversation with them and say like, Hey, let's go back in the past for a minute. Can you remind me, like, tell me what was going on for you. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you tried. The, that's where that information comes from. Sometimes depending on our process for, um, for, for our enrollment process, we might do things like have a discovery form and collect some of that information. So you might actually have some of that information already, yeah. um, in your discovery process, you know, before you work with a, a particular client. Um, but if you don't like the best way is to, again, have that conversation, um, and just sort of say like, take me back, you know, before our transformation, yeah. what happened, uh, where were you? Um, that's, that for me is the avatar. So again, less about the, you know, bullets and, and the, the boxes to check, oh, the client's got this and that and the other thing, and more about, um, you know, what is going on for them, um, in what's happening in their experience, what symptoms are they moving through, what fears and frustrations do they have, and, you know, also, what do they believe about their problem, what, what are they, what do they, what do they believe that's not actually true, what, you know, mistakes have they made along the way of trying to either diagnose or to solve the problem? Like those are the pieces that for me come through and create an avatar that allows you to get connected to that human, to that lead, right? And then identify the conversation that's going to be supportive to help them move along, um, you know, and go from that place of like recognizing all these symptoms to actually saying, oh, you know, this is actually my problem. And um, you know, Wendy, Wendy knows this problem better than anybody else. She's been able to articulate it to me better than I've ever heard anyone else. And so it feels like the next step for me to get rid of these symptoms and to solve the problem is to have a conversation with Wendy. Okay. That's awesome. Um, okay. So how do you find your clients? Mm, great question. So we have grown and it's just so like, it feels like such a blessing to share. We've grown by referral. Um, so steadily over the past, I'm trying to count numbers now, three and a half, four years. Yeah. Um, and I love referrals, of course. And referrals are also challenging, right? Because we don't always know when they're going to come, where they're going to come from, that sort of thing. Um, and what's really interesting is over the last sort of six months, we transitioned from doing a lot of our one-on-one -on -one work to in, um, introducing a way to work with folks that's a little bit more leverage. Kind of, it's it's a group consulting container, but it kind of runs asynchronous, so it's not fully a group. It's you know, it's it's a pretty cool model. It's not a course, right? It's not a course, but it's got one-to-one -one. anyway. So very cool. customization. Yeah, the, exactly. The stuff that is the same delivered to everybody at the same exactly. time versus the, yeah. Absolutely. And love we that. love doing it this way because I just, you know, what we do is a framework, not a formula. So mm. me giving you a course and saying, well, go create your, you know, your nurture now um, doesn't really fly with me because there's so much customization that needs to be happening, right? Depending on who your community is and all of that. Um, but with that, 
we made the decision that because we wanted to, you know, broaden the net, be able to serve and support more people, we were going to do a little bit more of the traditional marketing. So we've gotten to the place of, you know, building out our social media presence a little bit more. We're not choosing to be everywhere um, or everywhere actively. Like we have a, you know, a little bit of a presence on Facebook and LinkedIn, um, but we hang out a little bit more on Instagram um, and we do a workshop once a month. Um, that's free where we allow folks to come in and learn, you know, some of our, our best tips and, and tricks and secrets around, um, around effective nurture. Um, and so we often enroll from that workshop. Folks will, you know, they'll get a freebie of some sort from us. Mm-hmm. They'll sign up for our workshop and then um, they'll learn more about how to work with us and folks self-select self from there. I love that. So it, instead of going to your pure one-to-many, right. you kind of have that blended model. Exactly. That, yeah. I think that's a, a great model to have in terms of not everybody's the same. No, not everyone's the same. And I think folks are a little bit wary of marketing courses um, that are just like more information because they recognize like, well, if I'm not a marketer, then I'm expecting that I have to like learn the whole strategy and then implement it on my own. Um, maybe like, I don't know about you, but there's absolutely been, and I'm a marketer and there have absolutely been some marketing courses that I have purchased, um, but not completed. Um, so I just, I love the ability to offer that customization and really support people in, in getting the result that they signed up for. Um, and that just wouldn't for me feel like, feel as possible doing a true mm. kind of a true, uh, one-to-many or, or course. Well, it feels to me too, when it comes to a framework versus a formula, yes, we have to understand our avatar, but we also have to understand what we as the person helping the people on their buyer's journey, what we like to do and show up and how we are. Exactly. Isn't it cookie cutter either? Exactly. Some people like to do reels is what I hear. <laughs> some people do. They, some people are great at them. Some people are really great at them. It's actually, it's interesting. Like there's uh, an amazing um, coach we had the pleasure to work with and she took the work we did together and yeah, she and her team produced these reels and they are really good. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of like, Oh, I wouldn't have thought of it that way, but this is brilliant. (laughs) That's so funny. Um, okay. How do people get a hold of you? Oh yeah. People can find us over, as I said, we're, we hang out on the Insta, um, at Arisha creative. That's a really easy way. Um, and you know, if they want to check out kind of what we do, we have a website, arishacreative.com. Um, so yeah, that's probably the easiest. Perfect. And all that information will be in the notes as well. So that's wonderful. Tamika, what is something I haven't asked you that you mm. think I should have? Ooh, that's a hard question. Hmm. That you haven't asked me that you should have. Mm. You covered so much goodness. I, I always like to talk about um, I like to talk about the, to launch or not to launch. Ooh. Oh yeah. One. We can talk about Take that. Take it away, Tamika. Now yeah. you got me going again. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I'm, I'm against answer. just, you know, personally, right. Well, the, and for me, I'm kind of against if it is going to put you in a energetic, uh, frenzy, mm. um, which I see it do for so many people. Um, simply because they put these dates on the calendar, um, and they put all their eggs in their basket, quite literally, right. Cause there's a financial component, time, energy, mm, attention, yep. all the things, and they are expecting that it'll do, you know, a half of their annual revenue or a quarter or whatever it is. Right. 
based on the numbers of, number of times that they're willing to launch in a given year. And then when, um, and quite often this is how it goes, like they don't hit the number. Yeah. And then it's like, very, it's even more stressful, right? And so then that they fall into the gap because right. now they're like, oh, I failed. Right. And so there's so much, um, so much that can come with it. Um, and I do know folks who like thrive on that model. They do really well with it. Yeah. They love it. They've perfected over a number of years. So I never, I'm never one to say like you absolutely should or shouldn't do anything. What I like to invite in is the concept that um, your launch often is just a glorified lead gen moment in your business because, because often for a launch, we spend a lot of time, like, yes, we've got a community. Usually we have a community that we're going to launch to, but often we are also like trying to attract more folks. Like this might be the time where we're asking our friends, can you, can you mail for us? Can you share? You know, so we are getting a lot of folks who are signing up for a launch, launch activities, and they're essentially cold cold traffic, they're cold leads, right? And so those folks come into your launch, they might participate, um, right? But they're not ready to buy yet because they, you know, it's too fast. It was exciting, but they haven't moved along their buyer's journey. And so how do you remedy that? Just as we were talking about before, we want to have specific messaging that rolls out so that um, those new leads that come in through a launch or they come in through our top of funnel, wherever they come in from, we want to make sure that we have a way, um, that we're nurturing people effectively. Mm. Um, and so when we know that we have this in place though, then our launch, we can kind of like let go of the, you know, is it going to work? Isn't it? It's more like this we've is an changed, active. We've changed the metrics of what exactly. success is. Exactly. Exactly. And so we get to say, instead of it being a launch, I, you know, we're kind of known for having our clients, instead of using the word launch, they use the term active enrollment campaign. So it's like, we know we've got these active enrollment campaigns a number of times a year, but we're not expecting that they're going to do all of the doing. And instead we're going to look at how many, you know, like the success, as you said, the metrics change a little bit and success can also be that we have received a, you know, a great number of new leads and they are now being nurtured and we're seeing those folks um, enroll either, you know, in the next launch or the next active enrollment campaign, or even prior to that um, is what we often see. So I think, you know, it's just remembering that um, everything that we do in our business to attract a new lead, if we're not really being intentional and strategic about nurturing that lead, regardless of where they come from, um, we're, we've essentially created a leaky bucket in our funnel. We've created a leaky bucket in our business. So we're putting all of this time, energy, attention, money, and getting these new leads in where are, again, whether they come through a freebie or they come through a launch or wherever they come from. Um, if we don't have a pathway for them, um, that's going to support them into becoming, you know, a client, um, you know, we've, we've, we're wasting, we're wasting it all, right. We're letting it all just kind of leak out. Yeah. Well, you know, and that it, I think about that sometimes about businesses who focus solely on the top line mm-hmm. and think less about the profit when actually yeah. it should be, you know, they need to work together. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the same. And that, and I think that the profit is in the nurturing. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And I would have to say to Mika, that is the real bottom line. You need to be intentionally nurturing your buyers on their journey. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. This was fun. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. 
To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com. 